The Grancidillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. It is wonderful to see all of you with us this evening and to join us for this Dean's Executive Leadership Series event. This is actually our second event of the series this academic year, the first event in the new year of 2011. We had the pleasure of being in Northern California in the fall and had Randy Pond with us, who's the Executive Vice President of Operations at Cisco. So that was really fascinating. So we're sort of keeping with that technology theme tonight and we'll look forward to, to that discussion. But I do want to remind you, uh, there's certainly information on the back table about the upcoming speakers in our Dells series. In um, March, we will have Kate Mitchell with us, who is the Managing Director of Scale Venture Partners and Chairman of the National Venture Capital Association. So if you're into the venture capital world and entrepreneurship, that would be a fascinating one to attend. Then we are uh, really pleased that we're going to have Paul Hopkins with us uh, in April in Malibu. He is the chairman of the board of Farmers Group Incorporated and chairman of the Americas for Zurich Financial Services. And as you all well know, Farmers uh, Insurance Group is our sponsor and has been for a number of years for our Dean's Executive Leadership Series. So we are thrilled to have Paul with us and we hope that even though you're in Orange County, you'll make your way to Malibu, not only to hear Paul, but also to show our appreciation for their generosity uh, through the years with this program. And then we close out the season in May with Dave Hindler, who's the Senior Executive Vice President and CFO of Sony Pictures Entertainment. And we will actually be at Sony uh, for that. And so it'll be a fun night. And Dave is actually an alum. So uh, we are really looking forward to that. So a fabulous series ahead of us for the year. Uh, and we're glad to kick off the new year uh, with uh, Deborah here this evening. I do want to mention just a couple of things that are going on in the school. Uh, before I introduce Deborah to you, uh, we have several activities that are coming up that I think you should be aware of. Um, on January 27th, next week, we have uh, an activity at the West LA campus called Launch You, Unleashing Your Inner Entrepreneur. As most of you know, we've rolled out a new entrepreneurship emphasis we've had great success with. So because of that, we're also rolling out a new Master of Science degree in entrepreneurship. So this event is a way to promote that. Uh, you'll learn some about entrepreneurship, but also if you know individuals that might be interested in that Master of Science degree, it's a great activity to take them to as well to sort of get a taste of what we do in the classroom and to learn more about that new degree opportunity. Uh, we also have in the very next day on January 28th, our career forum. Uh, that will also be on, uh, in Los Angeles on the west side at the Radisson near our West LA campus. So we'll have a panel talking about career transitions if some of you are in that mode of your career. And then we'll also have a career fair so you can go online and learn more about that and register for that career forum. And then uh, anyone who's interested in the merger and acquisition area, we're really thrilled to be partnering with the uh, Association for Certified uh, Mergers and Acquisitions Advisors for a certi certificate program. That will be in February. So if uh, that's something you'd like to do, it's a week-long program. It's exceptional. They've done it on the East Coast and in Chicago, and we're now going to be their West Coast partner. So that will be a tremendous opportunity for you as well. Um, I would also like to tell you about something we're, we're real pleased and proud of, a group of our students uh, from our MBA program who just recently returned from 
the Molson case competition in uh, Montreal. It is uh, the oldest and largest NBA case competition in the world. It, uh, there were 36 teams there. Uh, we've been going to this competition for five or six years and really thrilled uh, to, that our team this year finished fifth out of 36 teams. They made it to the semifinals. We were quite proud of them. And in fact, one of the members of that team is with us this evening. So Eva, where are you? I'm going to make you stand up and be embarrassed in front of everyone. So Eva was on that team. think any of your other teammates are with us this evening, but they did a fabulous job and you should be very proud of the way they represented uh, Pepperdine in the business school. And our goal now is to go back and win it next year, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, the last thing I want to remind you of, since we're in Orange County, tomorrow night we're changing themes here from the business school to the athletic arena. Um, our Pepperdine Waves Men's Volleyball team plays UC Irvine tomorrow night here in Irvine. So you must go out, even if you're an UC Irvine alum, and cheer for the Pepperdine Waves. Um, I know they would love to have some uh, friends in the stands, and I, our men's team is, I think, Lou ranked third in the country right now. So they're one of the best teams. We've watched them play a couple of times. They're great fun, so you should go out and enjoy that tomorrow night uh, and cheer on the Waves volleyball team. Well, we're here tonight to hear from Deborah Nelson, and I know you're going to enjoy so much what she has to say. Uh, she is Chief of Staff Enterprise Sales, Marketing, and Strategy for Hewlett Packard. And as you know, Hewlett Packard is probably one of the most storied uh, entrepreneurial firms in our country, and now one of the largest and most successful uh, IT firms in the world. Uh, Deborah has been with the company for over 20 years. She's had really most of her professional career has been with Hewlett Packard. And she's responsible for worldwide marketing of their services, software, server storage, and networking, and leads marketing across five of their global business units, uh, delivering technology solutions to organizations of all sizes. And they are the largest of the three uh, units at Hewlett Packard with, uh, I don't know, over 50 or $60 billion in sales for the company. So it's a, a massive undertaking that she's involved with. She's been honored with HP's Recognition Award by the Connect User Group for her dedication to and support of uh, the user community. And she also received the Frost and Sullivan Lifetime Achievement Award uh, for her pioneering efforts to drive marketing excellence at HP. Uh, she's also deeply committed to her community and serves on the board of directors of Second Harvest Food Bank of Santa Clara and San Mateo counties. So we are thrilled to have Deb with us today. And I know you'll be. Um, really inspired by what she has to say. And after she completes her remarks, we'll, uh, I'll join her up here and we'll have a conversation with her and with you uh, to learn more about what she's doing. So, Deborah Nelson. Well, good evening. Very, uh, very pleased to be here to talk about green and what that means to business. And green is a very large topic, and so I thought we'd spend our time talking, honing in on three areas. We'll talk about some of the global trends that are really affecting how we work, how we play, and what we're doing to the planet. We'll talk about why green is really good for business, and I'll warn you now, I'd like to have that part be a little interactive, so I'm going to ask you why you think that is good for business. And then we'll, talk, we'll end up with some things that all of us can do to really make a difference. So let's jump right in. So when you think about the overall trends, what we call megatrends, that are really affecting the world in which we live, 
Um, these are the three areas that at HP we're really looking at. The first one is around evolving business models. If you think about the companies that are now household names that weren't even around a dozen years ago, think about eBay, Amazon, um, these firms really have new business models that were enabled by technology. Technology is a great leveler of the playing field, and it's a great enabler of new business models. It can also help to um, provide market access, and it can also help organizations or even countries leapfrog other um, old gener older generation business models. For example, think about Africa or think about South America. You know, those countries are not putting in land-based telecommunications, right? They're going immediately to mobile. And as they do that, they're actually laying the foundation for financial transactions to take place. Some of you probably heard that Starbucks now, you can buy coffee and pay for it on your phone. Well, in Af some countries in Africa, you've been able to do financial transactions for a few years, and the same thing in Brazil. So, um, you know, the evolving business models are quite different, and they can help developing countries in a different way. Another example is Facebook a relatively newcomer to the business world, um, they wanted to translate their Facebook site into French. So they reached out to their user base, and they got it done in one day. Another business model that's changing is auto insurers in Europe. Some of them are actually pricing insurance premiums based on the data and feedback from sensors that are in the automobile. Now, for some of us more conservative drivers, that could be a good thing. For my 20-year-old sons, not so sure that's a good thing. But a different kind of a business model. Now, these are enabled by technology advancements. And the two biggest trends which all of us deal with every single day are mobility and the cloud. Think about how often your you know, using and pulling services down from the cloud. I mean, who has looked at a paper map for the last however many years, right? And we're not even doing MapQuest anymore on our desktop. We're doing Google Maps on our, iPhone, on our phones, right? In the next decade, over 2 billion, you know, 2 trillion devices will actually be connected to the web. Think about that. 2 trillion devices and over 5 billion people. This is really going to fundamentally change the kinds of services that we're demanding that we can offer to people, consumers, workers, et cetera. And technology is the real leveler of the playing field here. Um, it's enabling these different business models and bringing more and more people into the world economy, which is a good thing. The fact that the middle class is going to almost triple by 2040 is immense, and that's excellent. But you can be sure that the demand and the expectation of this middle class is going to continue to rise. Then the last area is around, whoops, I went a little too fast there. Uh, it's around, or we're missing a slide, that's all right. Um, the, the last thing is really around the changing population and changing workforce that we have. If you look at global population, it's just skyrocketing. 
even in the next decade, we're going to increase the population by 20% on Earth. Okay? And the changes are not equal across all the geographies. If you think about a country like India, okay, their population between age 20 and 50 is going to increase by 60%. If you look at Germany, their population under 40 is going to decrease by about 30%. So that means you're going to have all these new young people going into the market, uh, requiring access um, in these emerging or developing countries. I would say India has emerged, <laughs> um, right? And it requiring access. And then in the more mature markets, you have an aging population who has a different set of requirements for services. Now, at the same time, the workforce is changing. All of the great Pepperdine students are entering in, all of our Gen Xers and Gen Yers, and you have very different expectations of what that workforce, what that working style should be like, right? You have consumerization of IT, social media, which has changed how we all interact on a social level. Well, that's still, we're still kind of in the, you know, stone ages in a lot of businesses as to how we interact. And so those expectations are really changing. We summarize all this to say the world is really expecting all of us to be you know uh, connected to everyone all the time and we term that an instant on world that this connectivity anywhere any place any time the fact that innovation happens really rapidly people demand immediate gratification you demand instantaneous results the speed and pace at which this change is happening is just faster and faster. So with that as a backdrop, there's a cost to this, to planet Earth. There are some real implications that these changes have on the world. And in fact, according to National Geographic, each one of us in America, over our lifetime, will discard 64 tons of garbage. I mean, that was a little bit stunning to me. And we will burn over 30,000 gallons of gasoline. We will, just reading newspapers, you know, consume 43 trees and use about 1.8 million gallons of water. So think about the strain on our natural resources when you look at how fast our population and, and is, is uh, increasing. Now, these are all really big numbers, and they're, but it's hard to kind of wrap your head around it. Have any of you heard of the artist and photographer Chris Jordan? Okay. Well, Chris is a photographer who also believes that this is kind of immense, and how do you get your head around it? And so he started to do what he called an American self-portrait, and he describes it as running the numbers. And so he takes a specific point of like this, the fact that you know, there are 2.4 million pieces of plastic floating in the ocean. People, uh, it's a well-known fact that 10% of all the plastic ends up somewhere in our oceans. Okay? But I mean, how do you get your head around that? So he develops art that is on this topic, and then as you zoom in to it, you can see what we're really talking about. 
And then the next one, I'll just show you a couple of these. He talks about this I couldn't even get my head around. One million plastic cups every six hours on flights in the US. And so he depicted it through a geometric design that as you hone in, you see that it's all those plastic cups. So I really encourage you to go to his website. He has some really phenomenal, I mean, you can only really scratch the surface of the kind of art, but it, it kind of gets your head around you know, what this is really meaning and quantifies it. So with all that, you know, how can we be part of the solution? You know, where, how can we, as individuals, as part of a business, as part of the community, really help to drive the solution? And I think we're all ready for the clean economy to begin. Um, HP has had a long-term partnership with the World Wildlife Fund, and we're part of Climate Savers, which is a set of businesses, uh, world uh, global brands that you would recognize, who have partnered with the World Wildlife Fund to really brainstorm ideas and come up with innovative solutions. And let's hear from some of them. We've shown over the last 10 years that we can reduce our emissions and do it profitably found addressing climate change it makes really good business sense by cutting 15 percent of co2 we have estimated that we will increase our profits by 25 percent there are opportunities which are good for business and good for the environment at the same time this is good business it's the right thing to do the clean economy is opening up exciting new avenues for innovation and jobs you want the smartest people on your team working in this area because this is essential and integral your business, to your bottom line, to your relationship with government and society. We need to act now, and not alone, but together with our peers. The partner companies of WWF Climate Savers are proving to our world leaders that you can curb your carbon and grow the economy. Let the clean economy begin with a fair and ambitious climate deal in Copenhagen this December. So you just heard a number of companies talk about the importance of the clean economy and talk about the fact that they really see opportunity there. So this would be the interactive part of the program where we talk about why is this good for business? So just raise your hand or shout out ideas. Yes. And I'm going to talk about some of the things that HP's done. And I think that it's always about, you know, a balance. And, you know, there are always different stakeholders. And, you know, that's the great thing about democracy. Everybody has a voice. Um, but we do have to, but, but I also think we're reaching the point where the fact that, you know, I could show you a video with all of those companies talking about that this is the, the right thing to do in good business means that we're at much more of a turning point than we've been historically. 
So yes. So why is it good for business? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and it makes a big impact. Customers really care about this area. That's for sure true. Yes. Deb, you know, I, I think from a financial standpoint, the CFOs um, listen a little bit more in terms of energy, utilities, and ROI on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes a lot of sense for space because there's server space, there's you know, shortage of space, and there's cooling costs. So it's gotten really in vogue with a lot of CFOs. I'm not saying they're the biggest tree huggers in the world, but what they, what they understand is that it makes a lot of economic sense. Well, that's right. Yeah, there's real concrete reasons. And lower costs is very, very real when you get to energy. Any other ideas about why it's good for business? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. That are happening. That's right. And, and more market access to the markets that are requiring those. Absolutely. Any other ones? Yeah. Well, and similar to that, for younger, you're talking about the traditional mm -hmm. work. Yes. You have this group of, oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, you have potential. Uh, employees who yes. are looking for that and yes. businesses are going to be more attractive to that's some right. of these talented individuals if they have an emphasis on sustainability. No, that's right. It's not just customers. Employees are also very, very interested in this and it means a lot to them. So um, you're right. There are just lots of reasons why this makes good business. Another couple would be, for example, risk mitigation uh, because of compliance areas to really get ahead of where you see legislation coming down. The other thing is innovation. The fact that we have to solve problems in new ways can really spur innovation that it wouldn't, ha it wouldn't have happened without the fact that we're all trying to solve this set of problems. Well, now let me get down into what HP is doing, and I'll try to provide some really concrete examples of where we're um, driving sustainability. And to frame this, we think about this very holistically. We think about it from the standpoint of what do we do as a company with our internal operations? How do we help customers? What do we do with our partners and suppliers as well? And to frame the problem, we think about, you know, if you look at carbon emissions globally, 2% are due to computers and telecommunications, okay? So there's 98% that are outside of that. So when we look at this, yes? What's ICT? Is the, it's information, it's basic, it's like information and computers and tele telephony. So it's com uh, computers and telecommunications predominantly. Um, 
So we look at this and we say, guess what? We need to care about the 2%. We need to drive that down. But we really want to also think about how do we attack that 98%, right? How can technology help solve some of the waste and issues that are on that other 98%? An example would be publishing. You think about books. A new book that is, sold, that is you know, on the market, probably 30% of the, the copies that are made are never going to be sold. Publishing and magazines consistently have overruns. So one of the things we have is a cloud service where you can personalize and print just the number of copies that you want of any particular item. Um, no overruns. You print it when you want it, and you print it from a customized perspective. That's an example of applying technology to an industry to help solve some of the challenge. So we think about it both those ways. Now, I like to say that HP cared about green before green was cool. In 1957, our founders, that's uh, Dave Packard and Bill Hewlett, actually got their senior leaders together and they said, you know, we want to have a, a corporate objective around social responsibility and global citizenship. And they defined that to mean giving back to the communities where we live and where we work and environmental sustainability. So, as a, and I bring this up because I think it speaks to why we think about sustainability kind of holistically and why it's in everything that we do. And I'll talk about some of the programs that have been going on for over 20 years. For example, our recycling program, which we started in 1987. Uh, the, you know, HP recognized that we needed to be able to think about the whole life cycle of electronics, not just creating them and pumping them out the door, but what do you do with them at the end of their life? And since we've had these programs for so long, things like uh, many of you hopefully have know our consumer printers, and you know the little ink cartridges, and that little envelope that you get with your ink cartridge that you can send your empty cartridge back to HP. Well, we have kept over 160 million ink cartridges out of landfills. And if you laid those end to end, it would stretch all the way from the southern tip of Africa all the way to the northern tip of Africa. And we've, we had some goals in addition to obviously recycle electronics. So we met our goal in 2007 of a billion pounds. And our latest goal was two billion pounds by the end of 2010. And we're still calculating. We know we're pretty close. We don't know if we actually met that goal. But one of the things that you'll here as a theme as I go through this is, you know, HP is a big and it's probably our engineering roots on measuring, right? So we like to state a goal, make it really transparent, publish it, and then measure it. And that is a, you know, big way, a very important way to help move the organization in the right direction. Now, when you think about recycling, you have to actually think about recycling back when you're designing the product. So one of the things we did in 1992 was a program called Design for the Environment. So this has been an ongoing program where we actually train our engineers. How do you think about sustainability when you're building products? How do you build them to be energy efficient? So you really think about how you reduce that energy usage. How do you really think through the materials you're going to use so that you minimize the adverse environmental impact? And then how do you design for recycling? Because you want to do it in a, what we call a toolless design, so you don't have a lot of nails and things like that. You can just snap things together. So you're actually thinking about the design for the end of the life at the beginning of the life of a product. 
Now, as a result of this, you know, we sell a lot of PCs. One product line in our consumer desktops over 18 months was able to save enough steel that they could have rebuilt the Eiffel Tower. If you look at our servers, our storage, our networking, the energy efficiency that we're now building into those products are the equivalent of taking over a million cars off the road for a year. Now, I've talked about products. What's also very important is how we work with our suppliers. Okay? We have one of the largest, if not the largest, supply chain in high tech. Um, we build a product with 3.5 products every second. Okay. We have over 700 different production uh, suppliers and uh, over 300,000 workers around the world actually build our products. So one of the things we did, and we were the first major IT vendor to do this, is we actually published a supplier code of conduct in 2003. And this was about you know, making sure that, they were, that our suppliers were protecting human rights and dignity, they had the right safety and social standards, that obviously minimizing environmental impact, and then standards of business conduct. Then in 2008, we went one step further, and we actually published the list of our suppliers, and we calculated the aggregate greenhouse gases and published that across our whole supply chain. So we really looked at it from an end-to-end -end perspective. We also, from an internal operations perspective, consolidated all of our data centers. So these are our internal data centers. These are the ones that like run our supply chain and run our financials. <clears throat> and we were able to, from that consolidation, save enough energy that it would power Palo Alto, which is where um, our headquarters is, for a year. And we also extend that to our customers. So we have a very large services business where we actually run customers' data centers. And we just built one of the greenest data centers in Wynyard, UK. Now this data center just opened in February 2010. And to build it, we really worked with a lot of thought leaders around the globe, like Rocky Mountain Institute, which is a research organization focused on reducing carbon emissions. And part of when you make a sustainable data center, you want to use the environment in which you place it to help you run it. And so we actually, Wynyard is in the northeast corner of England, right on the North Sea. It's cold, and we don't have to air condition this, this uh, data center most of the year because we use the ambient air from the North Sea in order to cool it. And we can mix it with the internal air in order to get it to be the right temperature. We've also done a lot of things like reclaiming all the water, a lot of things with lighting, you know, painting everything white so that there's um, you know, a lot of reflection, you don't need as much energy. This data center, which again, this is where our custom, we run our customers out of, use, it has about half of the carbon emissions of any standard data center. Now, if we could do that and replicate that, that would make a huge impact on that 2% that I showed you. This uh, actually won the prestigious Green Enterprise IT Award from the Uptime Institute this past year. So as I said, we're really big on publishing our goals and measuring ourselves. And so we have lots of goals. <laughs> They're on the web, published for the world to see. We will hopefully in the next couple of months be publishing how we did in 2010 against our goals. But this is actually a resource. You know, if you're interested in like looking at this for how you can do it for your company, it's all on the web available for you uh, to look at. And it you know, really keeps us honest as well.
And it's one of the reasons that we actually became the technology supplier for the climate change conference that just happened in Cancun in November and December. We actually provided over $8 million of technology and services for them. And the reason that the Mexican government chose us was because of our corporate commitment and our track record to environmental sustainability. Now, I've talked about us. Let's talk about how we help our customers as well. I have a few examples of that. Uh, Disney, uh, just down the road here, uh, is a very long-term HP customer. And they're not obviously all only about animation and magical theme parks. They have a very long uh, and deep corporate culture in the uh, environmental sustainability. So they actually came to HP and said, look, you know, we do printing, and most organizations have this, where printing is a part of a lot of your different work processes that you do. And a lot of times people have, you know, some printers over here that are kind of broken down and printers over here that are never used, and they're, you know, feel like they're wasting a lot. Well, what we can do is we went in, like at Disney, and really looked at and assessed how they're using imaging and printing with their workflow. We were able to take out 60% of their devices and give them better uptime on all their printers and save about 1.5 million pages per month that they're printing. So simply, and this is what we call low-hanging fruit because these are relatively painless ways of going in and helping customers really uh, reduce their um, environmental footprint. And then with Citigroup, uh, we went in uh, with Citigroup and helped them work to their data centers to reduce their greenhouse um, gas emissions. They had a goal in 2007 to reduce uh, by 10% over the next five years. And so we went in and helped design and retrofit data centers for them in order to make that happen, including their new Leeds Gold Certified Data Center in Texas, which I believe is the only one, or it's one of the only ones in the US. Okay, um, sorry, it won't let me go back, there we go. So next I'm gonna show you a video on uh, UPS. So, so far I've talked a lot about how we reduce the footprint you know, of technology. Well, it's also about how do you automate business processes to really make a difference. And so let's hear from UPS. Hey, what's happened to your arm there? Is that bionic, is it? It's a system we developed with HP to get packages on the trucks faster. Very futuristic. No labels. Prints right on the box. Saves a couple million pounds of paper a year. Be quicker having one on each arm, wouldn't it? One I don't on I each... think it would get confusing. Right, yeah. I suppose you get the full uh, business process optimization from that. Yeah. Can you get them for your legs? No. No. Right. Innovate your business at HP.com. So that was a, a good example of joint innovation with a customer, where they came to us with this problem. Because what they used to do is they have little trolleys with the printer and a PC on it, and they would run around the floor of their distribution center. When you're moving you know, 15 million packages every day in 200 countries, you know, you've got to figure out ways to really be efficient. Uh, so this was an innovation where you, know, you basically have a barcode reader, a paperless inkjet printer, a wireless communication, and a lithium battery, and you're able to do that in a very efficient way. Now, we also, being a technology company, are thinking about the future, and what in the future can we do to help 
drive uh, environmental sustainability. In fact, in 2008, we have um, implemented a sustainability lab, and they're working on a whole host of things, like how do you take all the copper out of a data center and use light to move data around? So things that you know, are not gonna be here tomorrow, but really for the future could be huge in um, providing environmental sustainability. But here's an example of one in the sensor area that we're doing. Oh, news just in. An amazing new development at HP is happening as we speak. It's called SENSE. That stands for Central Nervous System for the Earth. Full on, eh? Basically, it involves putting these tiny little sensors on specific locations. So you put these little doohickeys on, say, the Golden Gate Bridge, for example, and they'll measure the tiny vibrations and let the engineers know when the bridge isn't feeling too well. Just to let you know, I'm actually covered in these sensors right now, so you guys should be able to work out how I'm feeling. That's right, I'm hungry. Well done. Build a safer world at hp.com. But this is, uh, you know, the guy who runs this lab talks about, you know, what if the Earth could Twitter you, right? Because really, if you're going to help the Earth, you've got to be able to monitor it and really understand what's happening with it. And so <clears throat> this R&D is all about how do you make really inexpensive, tough, but very sensitive uh, sensors that can be placed everywhere, by the side of the road to understand traffic. Um, on different structures to be able to feed data to really understand and monitor the health of the overall environment. And this can really do things like, you know, will help make life better for today, but certainly will provide the foundation for awareness of what's really happening in the environment over time. So some examples, there's lots more that we're doing, but uh, those are some examples of some of the things that HP's involved in. Now when we talk about what each of us can do, um, there are three things that we can, in general, take action around. One is volunteer and really get involved. Understand what the issues are. And, you know, start an e-waste recycling in your neighborhood. Uh, you know, start a recycling program at your office if they haven't done it. Um, and we have some tools because a lot of our customers want to know and understand more about, you know, how do I, you know, what are some tools to help me? How can I do this? Well, one thing that we have on our website is a carbon footprint uh, counter, calculator, so that you can put in what your environment looks like and actually calculate what your carbon footprint is. We also have some case studies. Uh, the Gartner one, uh, Gartner analyst firm, uh, had, did one for us on environmental sustainability, and they used our San Diego site uh, where we put solar panels in as a case study. And then Accenture, did a case study on HP talking about how do you build a sustainability program? What are all the elements of how you think about it? How do you measure it? Even how does it affect all the way through to pricing of products? So a couple of interesting case studies that uh, you can use as resources. And then, of course, vote. And I don't mean just making your voice heard in Washington and uh, Sacramento, although that's very important. But I mean voting every day with your dollars. Um, that is a big way that to tell companies what you care about and you know, making it a criteria for purchasing and where you're gonna put your personal dollars is a, is a big deal. And then making a personal commitment to make a change, to really you know, rethink what you're doing, reduce, um, you, know, you know, I certainly knew some of these stats, but you know, this was good for me to come here and put this pitch together because now, boy, am I 
really even more personally committed to uh, reducing my footprint. I don't want to have 64 tons of garbage in my lifetime. So, you know, just really making that commitment for what each of us are going to do, and that makes a huge difference. So with that, I want to thank you for your attention. You've been a great audience, and invite Linda back up. Thank you. <laughs>